This is Fema Business Angel Podcast. Your go-to destination if you're a business angel or would like to get into angel investing and don't know where to start. Or if you just want to find out how we tick. We're Tina and Katja, both business angels from Berlin. Well, I'm a VC now. We will interview established female business angels about how they got started and how it is going, including all the best tips and tricks. So get ready for some insider stories and personal empowering moments and revelations with these incredible women. Welcome to this journey with us. Hi, I think before we're going to introduce our guest, let's just recap a little bit about the podcast because um, I don't know how, whether everyone knows about the podcast. So Katya and I started the podcast because we realized there's literally no content out there for female business angels. There's very little podcast uh, content on business angeling per se, but nothing on female business angels. And we all know that it needs inspirations and role models to make the leap yourself. So that's about the podcast quickly. Now, Katya, please yeah. introduce our guest. Yeah, and so we are super happy to have Nicole with us today. Nicole, please join us here on stage. It's very cozy. So yeah, we are proud to have you here. Nicole Kranzo is the founder of Black Girls Fest and of Big Sis Network. Both are organizations to foster female growth, like personal and professional, especially in entrepreneurship and arts. Uh, I think your background is absolutely fascinating. You've been named by Forbes magazine, one of the 100 women to follow on LinkedIn and Twitter. So if you guys need more um, input on social media, follow Nicole. And you've been also named uh, 30 under 30 by Forbes in culture and arts category. You're a venture scout for Ada Adventures. You've uh, angel invested in a couple of very exciting startups. Um, think, and also you sit on the advisory board of Tate Modern, which I think is like, super fascinating. Never met someone that young. Yeah, we have, with so, a major CV envy. I think your background is absolutely fascinating. And that's just like 20% of it. So it's like culture and angel investing and female empowerment entrepreneurship. Tell us more about yourself. Um, I think for me, I've always tried to navigate spaces where I didn't see myself belonging. Um, I was born in Ghana and I moved to the UK when I was eight, nine years old. And you can imagine going from a place where you saw loads of people that looked like you to go to a country and an area where you didn't really fit in. So I can probably say most of my work stems from, like, childhood trauma. <laughs> like, quite literally finding ways to fit in, but also mm. realizing that there's so many other people who also feel the same way, mm. want to fit in. And so the reason why I have such a thrill with working across multiple industries, across art, tech, business, um, design, is because I just want to find more ways to fit in. And I want to fit other people in, essentially. That's yeah. really an awesome, awesome <laughs> mission. <laughs> to put yourself into discomfort to make sure that other people don't have yeah. to feel the discomfort. That's yeah. really amazing. Yeah. So tell us about, um, since this is about me and female business angeling, how did you um, get into business angeling in the context of this? Yeah, so I kind of fell into angel investment, right? Um, I used to work in, <laughs> I used to work for an organization that used to do DNI training for large corporations, VCs in general. And after leaving that job to obviously go and start Black Girl Fest full time, I remember speaking to my CEO and I was just like, you know, I'd love to speak to some investors. And she was just like, you know, we do loads of training for VCs. Like, let me introduce you to a few people. 
I got introduced to the team at Aid Adventures and joined their scout program. Through my network, I had so many founders who I could basically bring to their fund. And then within that program, they were also producing an angel program. And I remember thinking, you know, I'd love to apply for something like this. I didn't know if it was something for me. I wanted to learn more about angel investment, but also have the capital to start actually investing. And um, I took part in the angel program. I was one of five people. But what was really exciting is, aside from the capital that we were given, we were also trained up. We were given sessions. We met with other angels. We were given literature, podcasts, given events, like really given the, the tools and the skills to be actually be prepared for the industry. But I think it's really powerful. Because, again, I, I wouldn't ever imagine this is like, I'm the only one in my family who does this work, right? So I never really imagined that this would be an arena that I can take part in. But I freaking loved it. Like, I'm so good at it. Like, I made some of my first investments before anyone else did because I had this nature for having this really um, in-depth way of connecting with founders. I remember I was speaking to, like, this really prolific uh, angel investor and we'd done a few deals together. And I remember, like, slipping to his DMs on Twitter and I was just like, hey, like, let's have a conversation. And he said to me, he was like, you've got something in you because you, you've got this knack for understanding and connecting with founders in a way that I don't think other like angels or VCs would and I was just like what does he see in me like I've only made like two investments no, like what so is going on That's but I think awesome. it's it's this ability maybe it's not my experience being an operator and a founder myself but it's this ability to really connect with founders and I also I think from the early set I, I realized this power imbalance when it came to angels and founders I realized that so much of so people think that they need to be connected to so many incredible angels but actually I have oh sorry thank you I have this really powerful desire to be connected to so many incredible angels like so many incredible founders like I want to be a part of their journey I want to be a part of their story I want to connect with them at early stage I want to build with them I want to get really scrappy I want to make connections I want to introduce them to the right people and that kind of scrappy let's buckle down nature that I have um I think makes the characteristics of a really brilliant angel um yeah. What was the most surprising thing you learned about angel investing? So with our podcast, we try to demystify it and, you know, um, motivate more women to join the cause. So even if you don't have your own capital to invest, maybe just support the founder with your time, with your network, or join the scout program. So you, you, you just told us that you have had, like, all of the resources available for you to learn and to advance. What was the most surprising thing, maybe? Um, I guess... Well, I, well, definitely in the UK, uh, the network lives on Twitter or WhatsApp. <laughs> and it's all really based on really strong connections. Um, so I realized actually quite early on during the program that if I went, made out, I basically slid into a lot of people's CMs and just wanted to build connections, not only would I get brilliant deal flow, but also I would get brilliant insights. I would co-invest with people. I would meet other people who wanted to invest in women and share insights and share networks and building that network was probably the most powerful aspect of um, my my time on the program but I realized the power that it had beyond measure um, and then I got really interested in like navigating other ecosystems like what's happening in the US what's happening in Europe and how can I get connected with like-minded people um, who want to co-invest with me or have the same passions and interests so I think that was the, the one thing that I realized that power that whatsApp group Ooh. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing, huh? But, I mean, you would 
when you when you look from the outside at the scene, you think it's like really cagey and everyone mm. does their thinking by themselves in the rooms. But actually, like it's so much based it's, on exchange. Yeah. And this is something that we're seeing here as well. Like since we've been starting building the ecosystem, I'm looking at some people here. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that it's people do communicate so much. There's so much exchange of ideas, feedback on on companies. And yeah. if you are if people see a potential in you as an investor, mm. they will collaborate. And I think this is something that you can really lean on when you start out as well, is to, to like know there, there is a like welcoming community and things to exchange on. Exactly. So I, I would like to come back to something. What you said is that you like to put yourself into uncomfortable situations, not uncomfortable, situations where you feel like you don't belong. And I think this might be something that's very powerful in how you connect with founders because... Um, founders, when being a founder is like 100% about going outside of your comfort zone. So that's probably where you get your co yeah. the potential to 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 connect with a the founder. A bit of an imposter syndrome. Huh? A bit of an imposter syndrome, yeah. maybe. Maybe a little, bit. a little bit. <laughs> or being able to handle it quite well. Yeah. So, do you have any? Um, so this is not really about angel investing, just in life. So, what's kind of your mentality <laughs> to go into situations where you're like, okay, I totally don't belong here. I'm 100 percent of my comfort zone. Like, what's your like mindset think, on it? I do you know what I like the challenge. You know, I don't know. Maybe there's a part of me that sometimes, or maybe I've actually heard that you can't do this because you're a woman, like countless times. And I like to prove people wrong. And I think maybe that's what, what, what that's what it feels like walking into rooms and being like, oh, I'm the only one here, but I'm going <laughs> to like absolutely make sure everyone remembers my name. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And um, doing the work in DNI that I've done for quite some years, I always think the, the real issue with a lot of conversations around DNI is that the D, the, the diversity gets you in the room, but the inclusion part is what sits you at the table. Mm. And most of the time, inclusion is left out of the conversation. So I walk into rooms, but I'm never brought into the table. So I always think about how do we actually reverse it? How do we think about inclusion first? Because by being inadvertently inclusive, we're automatically creating diversity. We're creating diverse thoughts and conversations and people. But if we think with how do we include more people at the table first, people will walk through the room. And so I always think, like, how do I challenge people to think differently about the way, the way, the way they perceive me and other people who look like me? And I think I just love to prove people wrong. I think I like to just show them, ha, -ha. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's that thrill of, like, let me try and, like, change the way that you and society sees women, black women, visibly active, vocal women, outspoken. I remember my mum once of saying to me, like, she was like, oh, you put too many opinions on Twitter. Like, you know, don't say too much. And I was like, mum, like, obviously she comes from, different yeah. comes from a different generation. Yeah. But it's kind of like she didn't want me to be too out there and but attract too much attention. And it's like, your mum is on Twitter. Too late, mum. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. I'm speaking at conferences, so I'm kind of out there right now. And I think, and I always, I realised that because of that generation, like, you, there was a lot of quietening of voices. Yeah. And so she was probably used to like, oh, don't say, don't draw too much attention to yourself. And it's like, no, 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 I want the attention. I want people to hear me because there aren't many people who look like me who are speaking up and I want to speak. And I think more people should speak and feel empowered to speak. Um, so I think I'm always, I'm always with that mentality when it comes to the, my life motto, I guess, and how that seeps into the work that I do. That, that was one of the motivations also to start Black Girls Fest, yeah. correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Yeah. The, the, I think when we uh, created Black Girl Fest, it was out of desire to see more black women on these stages. 
right? Wanting to see and hear our experiences, but also to put us at center stage, not to exclude anyone, but to actually be like, let's hear what this community have to say about this topic that affects them. And that felt really revolutionary in 2017 when it started. Everyone was just like, this hasn't ever happened before. Like, why is this so new? But it was really powerful. It really shook the system, but also it changed the landscape of the way arts and cultural programming was including more women of colour, more black women. And I think that is that says something about the time of which we were, 2017, when this was first created, to now, where it should be, like I always believe everything that regarding DNI, it should be normalised that we see women of all races and backgrounds having conversations on topics that are pertinent to their experiences. Like, why not? And I think that's the... Someone asked me, like, oh, when will you stop doing what you do? And I was like, well, when the world <laughs> changes and <laughs> we see, like, more equity, equality across the board for everyone, uh, that's when I'll stop. <laughs> um, Let's but, maybe bring up the statistics we were talking about last... The good old statistics. 0.0. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's... Because, um, you know, there's a couple of... Um, uh, some research was being done about women and the lack of investment that goes into women-founded businesses. And uh, across the total 10 years of the total amount invested, I think 1% of um, capital went to women and 0.01% went to black women. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and that's kind of where I saw the challenge when I was on the angel program to think about what my thesis would be. Like, what kind of women did I want to invest in? Where did I see that kind of, that what I was saying about, I want to challenge something. I want to prove someone wrong. And it was to see more black women getting investment. Like, how do I change that statistic in some way? How do I push the needle a little bit on that first angel ticket to then go see a lot of what I've seen now um, a lot of the founders who have invested and have gone on to go raise, most recently, Josephine um, Phillips, who's a brilliant founder of a platform called Sojo, which is, like, trying to revolutionise, like, um, clothes alterations. Uh, she went on to go raise, like, a 2.8 million pre-seed. Like, ridiculous. And she's, like, 24. And she's a first-time founder. Amazing. Yeah. So it's things like that where I'm just, like, she's in the playing field. She's in the system. She's part of the conversation. And it was through me and other kind of early stage investors believing in her and actually supporting yeah. her, bringing her into the space, do we see now another, <laughs> changing the statistic day by day, another black woman actually founder received, by founder. founder by founder. And I, yeah. think, and I think that is where I saw that, again, that challenge of like, let's change that. Like, I hate that statistic so much. And I want the next 10 years for it to com be completely different so that we see women of all races and backgrounds actually receiving and being a part of this conversation but actually receiving investment um, and something that I was talking about um, on the walk here was thinking about our definitions of success right um, definitely in the UK success right now looks like the, that big media x raised x million and it's like very overwhelming for plenty of people but I think that definition of success sometimes leads us to the same boys club behaviors that we're seeing at the moment it goes beyond that it goes beyond um just capital it's very important but also it goes to access who you bring up after you knowledge the power of knowledge sharing of knowledge um and what kind of um holistic view that we can define to create success um because as quickly as the media can shine the light on your rays they can also demystify you shut you down and completely 
disintegrate your entire experience, as we've seen most recently with the press. We were talking about um, Emily Weiss from Glossier, like crazy-ass headlines talking about and completely like diminishing her entire... I don't want to get into it, but you know what I mean. Um, completely diminishing her her power of the way that she was able to completely shape beauty for women, but also be a player in such a powerful industry that was previously led by men. Um, and to have headlines like that, it just it shows us that there's still so much work to do. If women who are working hard pregnant and want to start their life but still want to play a brilliant role in their business can be so demystified like that in the press then you can't use that pinnacle moment of media announcements to be your definition of success because it can also bring you down very easily as well so I think we have to almost sometimes reshape um that does that answer any of the questions that you asked at all? But it's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so I went on a tangent. I'm so sorry. Like, I just want to like throw your word. Do you know what? Listen. A lot of conversations have just been like swirling in my brain. So I was just like, whoa, what was the question, Nicole? <laughs> no, but it's amazing to listen to you. So it's fine. Just keep going. Um, no, but like with all the things that you're doing, so um, yeah. it seems like you're doing so many things. Is there one thing where you feel right now you can have the biggest, like that's your biggest lever of all the levers that you're pulling Ooh, the one thing oh i do love many things don't i <laughs> <laughs> um, no what, what's right now what you feel the in the the movement that you're working with right mm. especially black female founders yeah. like what is the one most powerful thing that you can do and anyone can do right now um connect i think making yeah. those connections is really powerful um i found that especially with like um, some of the early stage investments I've made, making the connections for founders who are raising their next round is like really powerful. Um, so through my connections and me making my waves through connecting with people globally, I'm able to make further connections for them. Um, connecting is powerful, but also connecting people to capital and the right access and knowledge. Like how do I, like I remember one time one of my founders was like, okay, Nicole, what does a seed deck need to look like? And I was like, cool, let's work it out. You know, and thinking about what, what metrics do I need to put in this seed deck to make it really stand out. And without that support and the knowledge from other people in my network, me leaning on so many others to give that, found that support, it wouldn't have happened. So building those strong connections, I think, is really powerful for myself and for the founders that I'm working with. Um, and I think for anyone in the room who wants to be like, how do I support founders who don't look like me, who don't have the same background as me? Um, how do I how do I make the most, the most impact right now, today, build some strong connections for them? Like, open some doors. It's mm. very easy. Yeah. It's the one thing that we can all do. Even if there's a question over, like, the lack of access to capital, the one thing you can do is be like, A, meet B. Yeah, and, it's, and it can be so powerful. I think the it's the coolest thing when you, like, connect to people and you've literally, all, the, all you've done is write a WhatsApp. Yeah. And then yeah. suddenly, like, oh, look, I have a new job. It's like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, it literally can change lives. Yeah, yeah. 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 It really can, yeah. yeah. I, I'm really curious how you can, because we never had a cultural curator and business angel at the same time on our podcast. So we had creators, we had VCs turned angels, entrepreneurs, um, a, a, like a wild range but how do you I mean you're like very knowledgeable in modern art and so you're, you're curating like expositions and uh, you're also into design how do you combine like this expertise with you know connecting founders and um, empowering them um, 
I think it's having that level of creative flair. Like I know what looks good and I have this ability to be inspired by creativity. So aside from looking for this level of business acumen, someone who's like really dedicated, I'm always also looking for someone who's done something very creative and by way of that is doing something really powerful with tech. And I think that is something that really draws me to, someone asked me like, how does your investment pool like thesis go? Like how do you make those connections? I'm really drawn to like, founders who were doing some really sexy things with tech. I'm just like, what are you doing over there? That looks really cool. Um, And I think that comes from having that creative flair, like wanting to challenge something, seeing the way the founder might be reimagining a world where X meets Y and the Critton said, you know? And um, so, yeah, that that kind of seeps into it. But I've always been a really creative person. Um, I remember my mum said from, like, the age of, like, seven... We need to have your mum on our podcast. She's got so many stories. <laughs> I used to like make my own dolls' houses out of like shoe boxes. Cool. And she's a seamstress, so I, there was fabric everywhere. So I used to like cut fabric and like make little curtains. And I was like seven, playing by myself with like a whole neighborhood of shoe boxes. So I was always making stuff and doing stuff. So I think anyone who can make things or um, is able to really challenge the way things are. It's like, I can't afford that, but let me get some shoe boxes and make a house. I'm really drawn to that. And I think that that is something that I look for, not just with the artists that I work with, but also with the founders that I want to invest in, but also the, the, the founders that I want to support. Hands on and scrubby. Hands on, scrubby. Make do with nothing, but still make it happen. Because as women, we're not really given a lot, but we still make some shit, sh- can I swear? Some shit happen. We still make, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, okay. We still make stuff happen. And it's freaking amazing. Like yeah. what you can see women doing, the most with nothing so that's why I'm always drawn to I'm like you you built that with how much (laughs) what yeah (laughs) let's give her some more money (laughs) let's see her do you know what I mean like when you see what women can do when we don't have a lot it blows my mind because I always think imagine if you had like all the investment all the access the networks imagine what you could do and that's what's so exciting and that's what I'm really drawn to I'm always just like oh like this person has like the drive the tenacity and is going to really kill it um yeah can I ask you two really practical questions yeah one is how do you build and maintain this incredible confidence and second (laughs) how do you prioritize (laughs) um how do I build and maintain the confidence yes well, uh, I think it's it's part of part of that what I was mentioning before about walking into rooms, but it's the ballsiness to believe that I already deserve to be in here, that no one has given me the hand out, and that if people are looking around at me like, why is she in here? It's because I'm probably very good looking. I'm joking. <laughs> No, it, it, it. <laughs> no, you are. Oh, you don't need to clap, thanks. <laughs> but you know that awkwardness when you walk into a room full of men and everyone's like looking at you like... <laughs> thanks. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I'm definitely engaged. Um, but you know, um, it's, it's, it's that energy of like, well, if they're looking at you, you better say something sick. You, you better like blow their minds with like your knowledge. You better like just really run that room and everyone will leave knowing that that was that girl that was just speaking do you know what I mean I think having that confidence is something that I always um uh I nurture like I really test it I throw myself in 
situations where I would feel uncomfortable, where I would want to just be in the corner and not talk to anyone. I think sometimes you have to challenge yourself and, and really test your limits to build that confidence even more, take it to the next level. Um, I remember once I was speaking to, at a conference and it had like thousands of people and I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like, what if I say something wrong? It was absolutely quieting that imposter syndrome voice and be like, no, you're going to kill it. Like, whatever it is, you're meant to be in that conference room. You're meant to be in that space. You were invited because you have something powerful to say. You better say it. And if you're going to leave a mark on anyone, they're going to remember the girl that said something but probably mispronounced it. Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) they're going to remember that girl that, you know, might have not said that thing perfectly, but still, you're going to make a mark. And I think... Um, I always say when people say, you know, I want to like empower women. I want to. Women are already empowered. I believe. I genuinely believe it's innate within us. I think we're just innately empowered people because we can make so much happen in our lives without even realizing. I think it's about how do you charge up that. Mm that's at our core like what is around us that is charging that up and allowing it to come out and what spaces can we like authentically bring that out and feel safe but also feel like we can be our absolute selves and so I want to and I do continue to believe that where can I charge that up where can I go who can I speak to where can I have a platform to continue to charge up where I feel the most powerful mm. and that builds confidence within me. That's that's a good strategy yeah. to find like mm. to know yourself and to find your energy source. I mean it can be very yeah. different if you're like an introvert, extrovert, depending on your life stage, yeah. what you need, but still to make it a stretch, right? Yeah. So you have to feel comfortable but it proves people wrong. I should have started asking for yeah. that what's your energy source? What's that's your energy really source? Like, where's you get? And I think that helps with the second question in terms of like um prioritizing because I I very much feel like people always say oh Nicole you do so many different things how do you prioritize and I was like I only do the things that I love so mm. if I was upset about what I did I wouldn't be doing it and actually I love everything that I do so I put in the hours because I know that it's going to make a difference so I'm really like driven by it that's my core mm. and that by doing that core work I'm already charging myself up but also I'm prioritizing what's important to me and that always is what charges me up first mm. That's really good. Mm. And, uh, I mean, you're totally on a mission. You actually have different <laughs> missions. So this is like, really impressive. But we, all, we always ask, like, very deep questions towards the end of I our podcast. Deep. Yeah, which is, like, if you could change just one thing in this world, this taps into prioritization a bit, like, what would it be if you could just pick one? Like, what would you change in this planet, in our like, human race? That's a big question. <laughs> I know. I warned Where you yesterday. Where do we start? <laughs> Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, If I could change one thing in this entire world, it would be... hmm, There's so many different things. I would probably completely demystify, reverse engineer, completely deconstruct this entire ecosystem and rebuild it from the ground up. (laughs) I'm very much of... (laughs) No, uh, only because um, wait, like, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm very much of, I, you've, um, I follow on the, the, the words mm. of um, thinkers and, and writers before me thinking about the master's tool cannot rebuild the master's house. You can't rebuild something that has been designed to oppress you to work for you. You have to quite literally break it all down and start again. I'm a builder. I'm a thinker. I'm like, I, I want to think about the ways that we don't repeat the same 
oppressive natures that were designed to work against us. It can never work because then we would be oppressing other people who follow us. I think sometimes when we think about inclusion, we have to think about not just how everyone gets into the room, but we have to think about how do we rebuild this to make it actually work for everyone? Because if you think about the systems that have just been designed around us, they're not designed to empower us or make us great. They're designed to oppress us and keep us down. So as women or human beings? Oh, yeah, women, women of any race, disability or visible, invisible religion um, so much has been designed to work against us and across all the art intersecting identities so if we were to think about or if we wanted to rebuild this world rebuild the ecosystems of which we navigate how would we do it from the start we would do it first of all by not having spaces that were only designed to support one looking type of founder where we were seeing one looking type of business flourishing and you know what I mean so I I always think like oh this is really great like what we're doing but sometimes you have to start again a little bit you have to like rebuild certain parts because if not we'll end up just repeating the same boys club type behaviors that we all hate and Um, I think there's a danger in that as well. I think we're all getting clued up about how we can be more inclusive and how we can support more people. But how do we think about everyone? How do we think about bringing everyone in? And sometimes you have to start again. So I would, I would smash it down and start again. And I think, I think there is an opportunity to do that. I do, I do. I think when things don't work and haven't worked for years and we're trying to like chop and change things, is it going to get us to the end result we want? Or do we need to rethink this do we need to be quite radical and just be like imagine if we just started again um so yeah it's probably not going to happen in my generation but hopefully i'll get to write something a report or some research or a book and well, the next generation seed, will right? the next generation will be like oh okay yeah cool let's do this <laughs> um but i do think there's um i think what's really exciting about building this new world is is we can do it on the terms where we know that everyone will be invited in like that what i was saying like inclusion first diversity second like if we bring people to the table first then we're, we're intrinsically already diverse and we're thinking about everyone as opposed to bringing people in the room and being like, you just stand there and then we'll just decide stuff over here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't work that way. So I think we need to start again and, and do it the other way around. It's my thinking. I think that's, yeah, that's great closing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I need to think everything over. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's been so amazing to have you. I really want to get your mom on because, <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> because I think just the confidence that you exude and the like energy is so cool and um, and it must come from somewhere because it's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. And yes, um, we really hope, I really hope that um, you keep going on your path and that you move as many amazing things as you can. And Thank you. We'll be yeah. Yeah, cheering from the sidelines and hopefully work on um, yeah. on the same projects together. Yeah. And yeah, let's pave the way for the next generation. Everyone, give it up for Nicole. Thank you. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.